Before we get started in this episode, a quick announcement. As you know, I'm very passionate about acceptance and commitment therapy, and I also run a busy practice in Canberra. We're currently looking for psychologists who are registered in Australia to join our team, who are also passionate about learning about ACT. We provide supervision on a group and individual basis and training around ACT. So if this is you, if you're interested, please express your interest at strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers. Look forward to hearing from you. And now back to this episode. Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name's Nish Nikolic and today's guest is Michael Leiter. He's an organisational psychology who's worked here in Deakin University, Australia for three years and recently returned to Nova Scotia, Canada. His interest is in people and their relationship with work, their career development, work engagement and burnout. Some amazing takeaways here in terms of how we go out and recover and also the aspects of burnout with exhaustion, cynicism and a lack of accomplishment. So certainly useful to listen into, particularly if you're not feeling as though you're getting as much out of work as you'd like and some nice practical ideas to take from this. So enjoy this episode. Michael, big thank you and welcome to the show. Good to be here. Look, it's exciting to be talking again on, on, on this topic of you know, people in the relationship with their workplace, their career, burnout, that, that, uh, that space. It's something that I've been looking into for a little bit now and, and I thought it's fantastic to have someone who's, who's learned and, and, and has research in the area and, and uh, you know, has a lot more to say from uh, you know, a, a, a professional space rather than just what we as you know, lay people just think, we're like, oh, the reason is this, the reason is that as to why people are either satisfied in their jobs or dissatisfied in their jobs. So really appreciate you coming on to, to discuss uh, all those areas. Well, great. It's great to be here. And it is, it's an important issue and one of uh, growing concern, I think, pretty broadly these days. Tell me a little bit about the work that you've done in this area, I know that you're an organizational psych. What's the sort of work that you've you've focused on, looked at that that's been, I suppose, um, dearest to you? Well, as you say, this organizational psychology, which means my focus is a lot more about what's going on between people than what's going on within people. So I, I don't go into the depth psychology kinds of ideas very far. I'm more comfortable looking at how are people interacting with each other? What are the environments that they create for one another and for themselves to do their work in? And how are those put together in a way that really helps them you know, connect with what they want to accomplish through their life, through their work? And uh, you know, what are the, how, how can you make those environments better for them so that they're able to, you know, but you know, just become who they want to really be and to live the life they really want to live. So that's pretty much where my focus has gone. And I've so I work with organizations mostly 
healthcare has been the major settings that I've worked in, partly because uh, I, I like that they're big organizations and for the kind of research I do, you want to have a lot of people and you want to sort of see how it works. But hospitals are particularly big, complicated organizations. Uh, and one part of it can be doing just brilliantly and another part can be feeling a lot of strain. And so it gives you an idea of saying, well, what's what's what makes a difference between his part of the organization and that one, and you can learn a lot there. And the other is developing measures. So we're developing questionnaires uh, that assess burnout per se, uh, other questionnaires that assess the workplace and what are the important issues for people there. And another one on just um, how people interact with each other. So part of what I, yeah, designing, testing out, uh, exploring the possibilities of these questionnaires and which ones are going to give you the information that you really need in order to make some good decisions. And what would you say are the gold standards at the moment in terms of the measures that, that we use in OrgPsych to, to look at burnout? Well, so the gold standard measure for quite a while has been the Maslach burnout inventories that has a couple of versions, one of which is particularly for healthcare people, another of which is very general. It could be used for healthcare workers, but it can be used for other folks as well. I like that when I'm doing research in a like a hospital because we usually want to survey the people who aren't doctors and nurses as well as the people and to have them on the same sort of metric there. But it's um, the gold standard in that you know 90 plus percent of the studies published on burnout have used that measure as opposed to other measures that are developed, but also that it maps right on how the World Health Organization has defined, officially defined, by their world officially defined burnout, which is this combination of exhaustion, cynicism or depersonalization and, um, and, and a lack of accomplishment. That it's this three-part syndrome. When a lot of other measures do it, either just as exhaustion or just as a two-part thing. But uh, that, that measure aligns with, again, how you can see burnout in the most you know, in-depth fashion. And in terms of your work, you're obviously looking at expanding on, on some of those areas or that there's yeah. some fine-tuning to do. Oh, yeah, there's always fine-tuning. to You always learn a lot. And, and you also want to see how it's developing over time. A particular thing that we've worked on, you want to talk about measures, because I like talking about measures. So let you stop me if I get too, too, too far into the weeds. I don't know how far in the weeds you go uh, these days. But uh, what you have is a measure that has three things that it's three sort of subscales, three subcomponents. And one is just on the exhaustion. How tired are you? Particularly, were you tired even before your day began? You know, those kinds of things, which is much more important in this thing than being tired at the end of the day. That just shows you worked hard. But if you're tired before the day starts, that shows things are not quite jiving in the way they should. So that's a thing. And then the other is sort of, are you really excited and getting fulfilled by what you're doing? Are you really going, oh, this another interview, I got to talk to this guy, uh, you know, is it that kind of, so that kind of cynicism, distancing is the second piece. And the third piece is, do I really think I'm doing important work and I'm good at it? That's, that's the place people like to be. And if you're losing that, then that's 
unfortunate. And burnout is, you know, all three of those sort of piling on to each other. So you're discouraged and you're sort of cynical and you're, you're just not confident that you're really even doing a good job anymore. That's that state of burnout. It's very serious and it's hard to get out of that because it's so negative. But we find, you know, when you analyze the scale, more of the recent stuff that we've looked at, that there's a, you know, a chunk of people who are in that, they've got all three going and it's a problem. But there's another chunk that maybe sometimes a bigger percentage who their issue is that they're just exhausted. They're not cynical. They really love, they, they, they love their work. That's part of why they're so tired because they're doing it so long, they're doing it too much. They're just so much involved in it. And uh, they're also, they're not discouraged. They think they're saving lives. They're doing important work. They're doing really creative, interesting things. They're just really tired, and which could be the work demands. It could be that their life is, you know, so, so chaotic that they can't really get the rest that they need. There can be a number of things, but their, their issues are tired. And that, in a way, is a simpler problem to solve than being tired and discouraged and cynical and grumpy and, you know, that kind of thing. They're more open to suggestions. It's a more straightforward issue. You're working. you got too much demand. you got not enough rest. That's, that's, that, that's, that's not that complicated an equation. It can have some hard things to resolve, but the equation is pretty simple, right? Whereas with the other, it's more, much more complicated. And then you find there are other people who their issue is they're just uh, whether they're feeling they're accomplishing anything. They might not be really stressed out from their job. They got a job that's just a job. It's not really traumatic in any way. They're not having to work extremely long hours. In fact, they, they can work their 37 and a half hours and they go home. They're not allowed to work any more than that. So it's not like they're exhausted or really cynical about it, but they just don't think they're accomplishing anything particularly great. And that really is a bigger piece. Like there's people who are really excited. They're energetic. They are really involved in things. They know that they're accomplishing great work and they're really engaged. They're just, this is great. And, but that's not, you know, it's not like there's them and then there's the burnout people and that's all there is. No, there's a lot going on in between. And one of those in between states is the people who just say, well, it's okay. I'm fine. That's a job. But it's not great. You know, is it Friday yet? Oh, gosh, it's still Monday. No, I guess it's juicy for you. But anyway, it is uh, that kind of a thing. But um, and then they're also a smaller group, but meaningful that are just cynical. They're not exhausted because they really can't be bothered to make the effort. But they'll always complain to you about how awful things are and how badly things are run and how they could do a much better job of doing this than than the people running this place. And they're they're just cynical and they're distant and they don't really care about the work or the people or anything anymore. But they're not really burned out. They're just cynical, grumpy people. And you you see them coming and you, you, you hide behind you know, a filing cabinet or something. <laughs> just, ah, <laughs> here they come again. I don't want to listen to it. But um, so there's, those are like, so those are like three extra states that you sort of capture with this scale that are in between being really engaged, excited, and energetic on the one end and being burned out and discouraged and exhausted on the other. So the measure lets you capture that. You have to do a sort of a fancy analysis with it in order to sort of 
categorize things that way. But if you have a big data sample and you run the numbers, you can see, oh, there's people with this full burnout syndrome, but there are other people, their issue is they're exhausted, but they're not, they're just having, they're really believing in things and they're really confident, but they're just exhausted. That's a different kind of person. They have a different set of expectations. They're going to be responsive to a different set of of, of, of programs, of things that you could be doing to help out. So it's important to know the difference so that you can target. Like when I think of targeting, like on an organ, if you're a manager or a trainer or a you know organizational uh, consultant, like how you could how you can approach the problem in a way that's going to be suited to that issue that is really foremost for those people. Mm. Obviously, the equation of the, I suppose, person who's exhausted uh, is is a fairly simple one, as you mentioned, in terms of they're just doing a too too great a volume of hours, and I'm assuming the intensity for a lot of those people would be fairly high as well. They are people who are highly driven, um, or have got so so much responsibility on their shoulders, coming from uh-huh. probably all sorts of areas, not just work, but probably you know, life as well and, you know, other demands because when you squeeze in so much work, you, you're, you're probably then frantically trying to catch up at home and socially and the other things as well. So there's, there's an equation there which almost says like, you know, pump the brakes a little bit, slow, slow things down, you know, reflect on what your life looks like and see if you can make some adjustments and, you know, whether something changes there, you know, some better quality sleep, and the like will probably all helps and many other things that go with that. What are the contributors to those other two states where, where there's that someone who's feeling, you know, kind of a bit cynical or discouraged that depersonalization, what, what is it that, that brings people to, toward that state? Are, are there some markers that you see hmm. commonly uh, correlated with why people go into that state? Yeah, I think that um, people approach work. I mean, you go, you, you go to work uh, to make a living, to, to get paid, to, 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 but, but, but you also want to use your skills. You want to have, you want to accomplish something, right? People are motivated to experience themselves as capable, right? You, you don't want to think of yourself as somebody who just can't do anything. You want to have a, a place where you can go in, you can do what it is you've learned how to do, what you've been trained to do, what you've picked up along the way, and do it well and get the confirmation that you're good at this. And that people, uh, and you want to belong to a group that not only you know tolerates you showing up every day, but actually values you and thinks that you're really an important, and, and they, they get that across to you that, okay, wow, we're really glad you're here. Like this place would really, you know, we'd be in a tizzy if you, if you weren't showing up and, and doing and contributing the way you are. People want to belong, not just be around other people. They want to belong in a way that other people respect them and appreciate them and, and, and connect with them that way. And they also, another thing is sort of people want to have some chances to show initiative. Like you don't want to always be on the receiving end of somebody else's agenda, somebody else's game. You want to be able to define, I'm making things happen here. I'm the one who made that happen. You know, that is a very satisfying thing for most people. They really, and they're in a place where that happens. 
for a lot of people is through your work. Like your work gives you resources. It puts you in contact with other talented people. It gives you uh, this opportunity just to make things happen, to do things that you don't do all by yourself. Like, you know, this equipment, you don't have these connections and, and, and opportunities that you can find at work if it's the right kind of workplace. So what happens when people are looking for that, hoping for that, expecting that? That was what I was promised when I got this job, and it ain't there. And instead, you're finding you're constrained, you're being micromanaged, other people are making those decisions, you don't really get to initiate what you want to do. Uh, you, you, the people around you actually, they don't seem to like you at all. They're actually, they don't really you don't like them after a while, because they're being disrespectful, they're ignoring you or actually being downright rude. Um, that is, that starts, you really start, people draw back at that point. They are, and that's where that, a lot of that cynicism comes from. You're trying to protect yourself from an environment that is really frustrating. Like you're, you're these core motives about being a capable member of a team that's really contributing something are being really, you know, frustrated by where you are working. And that's the kind of stuff that contributes and pushes people towards being really cynical or, you know, if it's the, or, or the really discouraged, I can't really accomplish anything here. I'm just doing this job. Um, that, that, that those, those are the, yeah, those, those are the kinds of things that, that do that. I th- and that's where we think, you know, we look a lot at relationships among people who work together as being key. Are there signals coming among these people that are letting them know that, you know, you're respected. Are they just getting that across to each other automatically as they're going through their day? Or are they being really withholding that kind of confirmation for each other? So that, that so it's, it, it's you know, so in the first instance, you look at the work demands and how they wear people out and how they can recover from those. And that's important and that's part of it. But these other and, and other dimensions really are what starts building the framework that pushes people towards a full burnout experience is when they're being really frustrated and their other core motives. And how how are workplaces set up to try and mitigate against some of those factors? I'm I'm assuming that. A lot of people within a lifetime, let's just call it 40 years of work, um, that at some point aspects of, of, of these might show up. Uh, are workplaces trying to address these particularly uh, or, or is it kind of we just go along, we do our work and, and when troubles come by, we try and sort of intervene on a one-on-one level? How, what, what, what's what been your experience? How, how do you see organizations work at this? I think it's a very mixed world out there with organizations. And I think that, and, and often people, like I, I've, I've done some analysis where we've looked at, again, within healthcare settings where we have a lot of people and look at, uh, you know, how are they scoring on things in the first six months and the first two years of their career? And, then, and, and, and unfortunately, it, usually they start off really, really bright. Like, oh, this is just wonderful. I'm out of university. I'm into doing what it is I meant to do. It's just great getting these opportunities. And that's where they are in the first six months. And then 
about two years in, they're going, well, I guess it's okay here. And then about five years in, they're going, oh, gosh, <laughs> when, when do I get to retire? <laughs> so going, okay, so it can look really good. Things can work at the beginning. And part of it is that when you go starting new, you're going in like a trainee kind of position. You're being closely monitored and you don't get that much latitude and that many opportunities. You're, you're trying to just take it in and not trying to actually, you know, do your own. But after a while, you think I should get some room here. I should have a bit of respect and get a little bit of autonomy to do, you know, try something new. And they go, no, no. So too many places are like that. No, you, you don't. And they find what was a really nice sort of starting position doesn't evolve into a kind of a more mature position in a way that's going along with what the person is looking for. So you get a lot of people, there's sort of a mismatch between how the individual is developing and how their opportunities are developing. And they're sort of, and, and we, you know, the universities are, are a little bit guilty in all this well, because we sort of teach people to expect great things and to follow their dreams and to become what they can become. And, that, and a lot of workplaces, like there are fewer positions that allow that than there are people who are looking for that. Like that's sort of the, a mismatch in that way. And a lot of people are looking for that great creative, uh, you know, open kind of position. And there's only so many of those and a whole lot more that are much more constrained and structured and, and have a lot less of that opportunity. So I think that's part of the thing going on is, is that it, it, but also there are employers who really care about that. Uh, and are trying to do their best for their employees and developing, you know, occupational health programs and that kind of thing. But they don't always match what's going on. Like a lot of times what they're doing is helping people um, put up with the situation that they're in. Like you're managing your stress, but that means you're managing your stress. We're, we're, we're still stressing you out because you're managing it better. And that's, <laughs> that's not quite as fulfilling for people as actually having something that where they're really working with a flow that really connects with them and carries them forward. So uh, there's that kind of thing. And then, you know, as we've I, I, I've been working on these projects where we're trying to take work groups and that are, have a difficult time really being supportive of one another. Maybe there's different cliques that are fighting it out with each other, or maybe there's a leader who really is more involved with, uh, you know, leader things and not really focusing on what the people need as much as, as they care for. And, and work with them uh, on just uh, what, what we call sort of improving workplace civility. Like how do you just get across to each other um, let's practice this. Let's do some things together here as a group and practice how we express appreciation to each other so we can just get more automatic in that and express not just feeling appreciative of each other, but actually saying something and doing things that gets that across in the little day-to-day -day interactions that were happening and, 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 and making sure people feel valued. And, um, and that kind of thing. And then teaching people, how do you get, what are some more constructive reactions? If somebody really is rude or inconsiderate towards you, uh, you can react in a way that makes that even worse, right? Or you can, you know, but what are some things that 
as a group can come up with and say, no, this is when that kind of thing ha happens, here's how we're going to react. And it's like, here's our, our protocol for when people are behaving badly so that we can help get things back on track again. And we're working together as a group. We're committed to doing that, that we're going to take our game up and everybody's got to be on board and people have to take some criticism with how they're interacting with each other and get better at it. And we're going to do that together. So that kind of thing, that starts building an environment where people are going to have that sense of belonging. They're going to have some knowledge that they've, their colleagues have confidence in them and they, it's going to build on those, other, those things that work against burnout. And we find that, you know, I've done my own research and others that uh, as that sense of, you know, the more that, the interactions that you encounter are really respectful, uh, are are rather than disrespectful. Uh, that that they are that that people move away from those characteristics of burnout and into that more engaged space. As a clinical psychologist, when when clients come in with what appears to to have those factors of of, of burnout, there's only one person in the room. And that's the client. And the organization isn't there. And so mm -hmm. I'm working with a client uh, really on an individual basis, uh -huh. some, somewhat appreciating that predominantly organizational, <clears throat> you know, mm -hmm. structures, um, cultures uh, it, um, are, not, are not so flexible or, or, or amenable. That doesn't mean that individuals wouldn't still go to their peers or wouldn't go to their managers that wouldn't, you know, kind of uh, try and work these, these um, situations out, whether it's finding more acknowledgement for, for, for their work or finding more accomplishments and, 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 and you know, pride in, in, in what they're doing, feeling satisfied that they've achieved something. But how much of this is, is the responsibility of the individual? Because uh, uh, where I sit... I can only work with the individual and how much is the responsibility of, of a, a culture trying to fit that individual or work with that individual? It's a bit of a hard question. It's a bit of a controversial yeah. question in terms of how, how do we do this as a, as, as a big world? We well, it, it is a tough one because I mean, as I, I look at it, it, it's a relationship problem. And I think you, you use that, 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 that framing uh, earlier in our conversation. And so what you're doing in this way is somewhat parallel that you're, uh, somebody's coming to you that's got a terrible marriage and you're working with one person and the other one's not there. So you're trying to do marriage therapy with one person. And yeah, you maybe can do something there, but it's, it's so actually even risky, but it's, it's, it's hard. You, it's going yeah. to be, your chances of success are going to be a lot more if you've got both members of the relationship in the room. And, and so that, that's, that's just sort of, and, and as an organizational psychologist, I'm generally on working on the other side of the, that, that relationship with, with the organization, but I, I do, I do connect with, with the individuals as well to some degree, but it, it is, it is that, 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 that kind of conundrum in a way. Now, individuals, like, as I see it, you know, with working out anything in relationships and particularly these uh, work things, that one thing it requires that's going to help a lot is flexibility, both from the employer's point of view, the more that you can accommodate, people want to work in different ways, different places, different schedules, different um, degrees of responsibility, you know, that kind of thing. And the more 
that you've got a capacity to accommodate different working styles, the, more, the better chances are that things are going to work out, you know, in a way that, but also from an individual's point of view, like you're going to work that you, there's only so rigid you can be and still be playing the game properly here. Like people have to be able to accommodate, you know, it is a work situation. They do want you to do certain things in certain times and certain places with certain kinds of output. And, and, and that needs to be, you know, you've got to be able to, to accommodate that to some degree. When you're dealing with other people at work, people at work, people are difficult to deal with. There's just a lot of people are difficult. Like There's a certain degree that are just an endless delight. But overall, it's a challenge to deal with people at work. And particularly if you're dealing with folks who've got, you know, who are really talented people and they know it, they're going to have ego issues and control issues and all of that. And part of, you know, an individual's capabilities is how do you manage that so that the other person is feeling good about this as well. So you have certain amount, but again, as an in, when you're working through an individual, yeah, that's 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 your your pathway to doing things, and it goes to to what extent can that individual both one vary what they're doing? Can they do things differently? And then, well how much is that really going to have an impact? Because no matter how persuasive one is, there's a limit to how much you can really influence people in the positive direction. Like generally, as we talk about with the civility stuff, like reciprocity is powerful. If you go up to people and are really pleasant and respectful and really appreciative of them, that generally that's what's going to come back. And if you go up to people and you're rude and dismissive or you just walk by and ignore them, that's what's going to come back too. So there's a certain reciprocity, reciprocity has a lot of power, but it's not totally powerful. I mean, you can go up to some people and be really nice and they're still going to be nasty to you. Like it's not a hundred percent. It's, it's your probabilities go up, but it's not for sure. So that's the kind of thing that you're, you're and, and I, that's, I guess with uh, working with individuals, uh, get, getting them to tolerate the idea that they don't have sure things, but they can, you know, they, if they can be happy with improving their odds for getting a better response, uh, uh, that that's, you know, that, 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 can be, that can be meaningful for them. What can people do to elongate that period of satisfaction? You know, what, what, what is it that kind of occurs over time that makes us feel less and less satisfied or more and more tired with the job or a little bit cynical mm. you know as mm-hmm. as a psychologist our, our jobs are fairly straightforward in terms of what we're going to 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 do mm. and unless you well it d- d- depends unless you change lots and lots of um you know, unless you move your discipline around and, and the like, and maybe that's one of the, the factors. But yeah. for me personally, uh, I have to maintain an enjoyment in seeing clients uh, and continually find that really enjoyable uh, if I want to continue doing my, my work. Um, thankfully, I'm very one of the probably very, very fortunate. Uh, I can't think of anything more interesting uh, you know human beings are are a puzzle and they're so so fascinating and enjoyable to to um you know work with for me you know the pain the 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 angst you know comes comes from all the paperwork that i do 
mm. you know, running running yes. a practice. You know, I I enjoy people. I don't enjoy, you know, the the um, uh, the administrative side of running a practice. And so that that's where kind of yes. I feel the exhaustion, or I don't feel much satisfaction in in uh, you know doing some HR. Uh, you know, tasks and the like, but I still love seeing my my uh, clients. There's a bit of a mismatch occurring in in you know my world of of where I feel most suited, and in some sense, another area of me that says, but I feel satisfaction if if, if I could be part of a a um, you know growing a, a, a practice. Uh, so the, the the question, in some sense, is how do we keep keep that 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 stimulation that enjoyment alive what what do we need to do as individuals okay wow that's a lot of stuff there but i think that <laughs> like um it, it, it talks about burnout people often bring up the, the concept of compassion fatigue and part of my response has always been well i find that people have a lot of compassion it's administrative nonsense fatigue that really it pushes people towards burnout and not do not, not too much compassion. Yeah, compassion's got a lot going for it. But um, I think, well, part of what you do is you, uh, people mature and that's part of what's going on. And, and it really what works, you know, at one stage of your career definitely will not work at another stage of your career because people change and you got to have, that's where the flexibility comes in that you can add different things to it. Like some people start podcasts in order to add that to their clinical practice as a way of exploring ideas and connecting with the world and being with things. So uh, there are, and that's what people, you know, do when they mature through a career, when there is the latitude in order to do that, whether it's mentoring other uh, providers or, you know, um, just there's so many different ways. Of, I mean, all these professions and the kinds of things that where people really experience burnout are often the more complex and, and more, you know, far reaching kinds of occupations that, you know, really take in your, 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 your passion to such a degree. Um, there's always different facets to that and people one on their own side need to have the flexibility to be able to you know jump into something new even though it's brand new so they're not going to be really good at it at first but they'll you know have the confidence that they'll grow over time and so I think there's that piece and then and the other part is the perpetual problem solving to figure out how can we run this place with less paperwork and still be you know cover all the bases that need to be covered and that that kind of thinking creative thinking on the administrative side is an important kind of thing because the world because they can create all these forms and and call for all these records and this that and the other well they do and again i worked at the university for for many many years and the universities just love coming up with forms that you know, this is useless information or reports, particularly research councils. They love having people write reports that nobody ever wants to read. Nobody's going to read this stuff. It's just, but if you're going, if you want the next, you know, payment to come to the university from your research grant, you've got to get them this stupid report that nobody wants to read. And the, the, the world just, okay, what can we do to 
Uh, one, how can we make that report writing more efficient so that uh, I, I've, got a, I've got a template I can run through and get it done in less time than I did last time uh, and on, on my own front? But how can we influence the whole administrative process so that they can see that wasting the time of their top talent is not a brilliant way of administrating? Um, and and that, uh, that they can work with you to make it better. So I think that those are because yeah, reducing the kinds of things that are just tedious nonsense is an important part of a preventing burnout. Uh, you want to spend more time doing the stuff that really matters and less time doing the the silly stuff that uh, that, that somebody is inflicting upon you from far. It's really interesting, and maybe I'm I'm uh, reaching some of that cynical cynical uh, aspect that you're, you're 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 talking about in that i scratch my head with um how human beings uh, engage with the world and and like the lack of interpretation or lack of reading or maybe it's the kind of very quick default systems though of reading and applying um things where you know Let's say, for example, if if uh, I'll, I'll use something a little bit further, if uh, if someone apply put an application, um, sorry, uh, put an ad out for for a job which said you know mechanic wanted, um, no apprentices, right? Um, but then they receive like four apprentices um, uh, applications, uh, and it's it's really fascinating that kind of like the reading, you know, sort of concept doesn't translate to what what what, what someone then responds with. I, I personally, I know that when I write an email, I always try and respond to the five, you know, questions that someone has provided um, or I'll, I'll ensure that whatever I'm being asked, I'm happy, I, I, I deliver. But it doesn't seem to occur in this world, you know, that, that there's kind of like these shortcuts that are occurring where, you know, someone will just – half answer one of five questions um oh, no. it's, it's really fascinating that this world and maybe that's the complexity of being uh, of of of, of uh, working with human beings um, when you're relying on them you know if it's if you're not relying on them it's probably not an issue um mm. you're yeah. relying on them it, it, it's a bit of a problem you know it could be i'm trying to pick up the keys you know what's the location i need to go to and they just forget to you know, they give you the address, but they don't tell you where they're going to leave it. You know, it's like, is it under the pot or is it, you know, under the doormat? <laughs> and right, so it requires, yeah. more, requires more from you to, uh, you know, find out the information. Um, so, so much is so superficial and just, just missing, yeah. often just completely missing the point. Yeah. And, yeah, it's true. And, and there's, well, even, you know, back to the idea of sort of all this sort of administrative uh, nonsense that people have to do in their jobs, like a lot of it, it's it sort of looks like it's something responsible or important, but it's not. I mean, it, 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 it's, it is just has sort of uh, some kind of appears to be something that is necessary without actually being something necessary, but it becomes a, a regulatory kind of thing going on. And that, you know, that, yeah, it misses the point. So yeah, get, getting right down to the depths of things is it's, it's a difficult place to, to stay. It, it's a difficult place to stay. Has the advent of, of emails changed mm -hmm. how people uh, 
feel burdened with administration. I know that once upon a time, um, unless people were sitting around writing lots and lots and lots of letters and posting them off, um, is the advent of, of email something that has just increased the volume of communication these days? Does, does that have any contribution with how, how people are feeling in their in their work, I know it's different in the in the health sphere. I imagine being in a uh, in a hospital. Um, uh, well, it depends who you are. Uh, you might not need to do that 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 volume. You might be more with with, with patients doing forms. Um, uh, but uh, is, is email or is it the whole you know emails and forms and regulatory sort of requirements that that's weighing a lot of people down? Well. well it's a lot of pieces there. I think that part of it, emails are one dimension of the fact that work has become so portable and in terms of space and time. And that, because um, you can, you know, do work-related, you know, communications at any time of the day or night. And, 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 and you can feel compelled, like really compelled or just imagine that you're compelled to respond to these things at all kinds of hours of day or night. Um, but that, that's just part of a larger thing. Like work is, uh, I mean, there's different kinds of work. Like when you're seeing clients, that happens at a certain time and a certain place. But with the writing of reports, well, you know, that can creep into other parts of your life. That's a more portable kind of activity. But even further beyond that, is you thinking about what you're going to be doing with your client, thinking about this particular person's issue. That doesn't stay within a nice, tidy time frame. Um, and uh, like I'm writing a book, like Christina Maslach and I are writing a book about burnout. And when I'm writing a book about burnout, it doesn't stay within certain hours of the day or the writing time. The writing, the thinking, the ideas, the toying with things, trying to come up with different images or examples of things. Well, you're always thinking about that. Like, or even when you're not thinking about it, all of a sudden an idea pops up, which means that you were processing it somewhere or the other. So much of work now is like that. That's, that's where I'm going to go with it before I get into too many details. So much of work now is really doesn't really fit within a framework of time and space, which means in a way it puts... Uh, a burden on both employers and on individuals. Um, as an individual, in a way, you've got you've got a part of responsibility for drawing the line and say, I am going to clear my mind as much as I can from work and to be, you know, separate from that and to have my time for recovery and bouncing back because that's really important. Employers need to know like what kind of messages they need to give across about, you know, we know like there is only part of your life that's work and there's other parts of your life that we're not making demands on and, and to be credible. <laughs> that's what the people actually do take it seriously. Cause you know, that kind of capacity to get away from it all and stand back uh, from work is an important piece of it. And something I think in this past year, you know, people, um, you know, around the world, so they're dealing with, the, the COVID crisis, particularly healthcare workers, the idea that the demands gotten very, very big, and on the other side, their capacity to recover and to get away from it all. Uh, you know, like you just have, you know, fitness centers being 
closed down. Well, you can't go there where you usually went to sort of unwind after work, and you can't go to the bar and, and have a good drink. You can't go out to a restaurant. You can't actually spend much time with your friends. Like all these things that were the recovery activities for the people with huge demands were totally disrupted, made unavailable. And so in that world, you've, you've, you've got the demand for many people increasing, becoming extremely intense and, and uh, emotionally charged. At the same time, you're losing all these uh, opportunities to step back from it. And it uh, really intensifies the impact of these things because you need that balance between getting away from it as when you've been so intensely involved, on the other hand. Two things that you noted there is is work bleeding into uh, a wider amount of time in one's life, even even the thinking of work or yeah. mm-hmm. the anticipation of work, you know, b- b- beforehand is kind of like a little bit of a drain or um, a bit of weight uh, that, that still can be put into the the work um hours that you're doing and secondly uh you you sort of mentioned about recovery um how important is 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 recovery and what what does that look like you know what what can our listeners sort of think about in terms of what what do they what what could they consider or should they do in that recovery side or or if we even term it you know life outside of work yeah well, I think it's partly, I mean, the idea with the exhaustion part is burnout. The idea isn't that you're supposed to go to work and hold on to all your energy all day. Now, you should go to work and you cash in that energy doing things that matter, uh, doing things like, and if you end up really tired at the end of the day, that's fine. That just, that's, that's not a problem uh, in and of itself. The issue is the cycle is to cash in your energy doing things that matter, but then to recover that energy and doing something different. And you have different kinds of energy. So you can be working, you know, again, seeing seeing clients all day long until you're just really tired from doing that kind of work and then go out and run and exercise physically and, and have, to have a great time doing that. Somehow you've got energy for doing that kind of thing when your mind's been really tired of you know, trying to respond uh, appropriately to, 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 a, to intense information. So you've got these different dimensions. But the kinds of uh, recovery becomes the important thing of knowing, am, am I leading my life in a way that when I get away from work, I'm building up those other parts of it and getting recharging that energy. And it means, one, doing things that you enjoy, uh, you know, and, and uh Secondly, doing things that are different. So if you're at a computer screen all day, you really shouldn't go home and be at a computer screen all evening. <laughs> you've got to you've got to have a bit more breadth in what's going on. But it is, um, uh, and, and time with people matters. Time with people where you're not in your work role. You're, you're just you're just a fella. You're just a person out there <laughs> interacting with other people is. Uh, it's, it really recharges me. Like that work role is important. You're at home in it. That's who you are. But still, you got other parts of your identity, and they need to go out for a walk. They need an airing, you know? <laughs> and you got to be with them and allow that to happen. So all those things they 
bring out different parts of yourself, even though, you know, like you're walking around, you're doing things, you might be even more physically exerting than you do during your workday. But those things are part of recovery. Uh, recovery can be a very active process. So eventually you do need to sleep. And, and you know, the, the, the amount of sleep that you need, uh, you got to do it. And if it's eight hours, even though you grudgingly, uh, are, you know, you got to give it the eight hours if that's what your body's calling for. And because uh, and it, it, it doesn't take no for an answer very well. It, it, it comes back to bite you. So the sleep becomes a very important part of that. And so finding out what's going to help you with that, because, you know, when we do these, they're called diary studies, where you ask people to sort of every day, you give them sort of a mini version of the burnout scale, and you go, you do it on a daily basis for a number of days, just to see people's cycles. And the thing that, you know, is most associated with exhaustion in the morning is not sleeping well on the night before. And not sleeping well the night before often is related to, you know, upsetting things that happen at work, like conflict with other people or, you know, bad interactions with people at work are one of the kinds of things that interrupt sleep at night because you, you ruminate over these things. You think them, you bring them back up again, you're going over it, and it really upsets that whole recovery cycle. So sleep is definitely part of it. It's not the whole picture at all, but it's definitely part of it. And again, as, as, Communities have been all, you know, constrained, uh, you know, necessarily with with, uh, with with restrictions. It's really people have had to come up with some pretty creative solutions about, well, how do I do that kind of recovery? And uh, you know, it's been a bad year for extroverts in that regard. The introverts have done a bit better. I just read a book, <laughs> but the extroverts they're having they had a rough year. <laughs> Yeah. And how do you personally structure your, 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 your days, you know, being, being in the field, you know, do, do you uh, consciously do, do certain things? Have you structured your, your uh, weeks in particular ways? Oh, oh yeah. I, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good at relaxing. I've, I've got that sort of work that I, I, well, one is I play music a lot. So that, that, that's a piece. That's a very different kind of activity and, um, you know, with people or on my own or whatever. So that's really different from doing organizational psychology. And, um, you know, right now, um, you know, I lived in in Melbourne there for a while and that was fascinating. There's so much to do in Melbourne. But now I'm living in a very small town of like 4,000 people and and, and a very rural part of Canada. And uh, so there's, there's just always lots. There's, there's a great, outdoors and um you know so there's a lot of nature nature walking having a lot of green around you walking in nature it's uh it's a good thing to do it's that uh, it it relaxes the mind on a deep level what sort of music do you play oh uh well i play all different kinds of music but uh, one thing is is on the flute playing you know, like celtic music and so uh you know irish scottish that kind of thing so that's you know with with people and that stuff uh play baroque music as well as the piano and flute and and other kinds of just more contemporary kind of music um there's just really there's people composing just fantastic uh stuff out there these days uh particularly piano music i just find there's all kinds of very contemporary composers on piano that it's, it's just fun to play it. Not so, not horrendously difficult, but really engaging kind of music. So there's, there's a lot to do with that. Now, how about you play music? No, I don't. But as, as you were talking, uh, uh, I saw 
um, not only the organisational psychologist, uh, but but the musician as well. <laughs> the, the, uh, you know, when 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 I have been speaking with you, I, I've seen Michael, the you know the academic, the organisational psych, the researcher, um, and as you spoke about the music and and you know you kind of you know shifted your eyes up and you kind of reflected and and, and got into this sort of you know mental space of of considering what is it so that's, that's so lovely i could see a genuineness and a, a, a and a love for uh, you know whether it be the celtic music or the appreciation or you know learning or the playing or the social aspect of it there's there's clearly um uh, a, a a very important dimension there, um, which which probably is what what you're trying to refer to as as recovery, being being that's, strong that's in that's other that. interests. Uh, think mm-hmm. Immerse yourself in that, uh, not because we should all have hobbies, but because it's a genuine interest. You're a human being that's multifaceted, and and you know one of those things is is, is playing flute. Yeah, and you can't give all your passions over to work. Work's not going to look after you that well. You've got to you've got to have something else going on in your life. And that's that's part of the meaning making of life as well. It's it, it, it is, you know yeah. if it's just work, um, there, there, there's just not enough areas to to keep us interested. Unless you know you're you're, you're very good at making work flexible and move with you as you mature. But I'm assuming the vast majority of us need a lot of pleasure outside of work. You really do. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. It, it, it makes me think about the the, the things. I've got some really strong uh, interests, but uh, probably I I need to invest more time and energy into those. You know, actually invest the time so that I get recovery from it. Uh, rather than just um, think about it. <laughs> yes, it takes a while. Yeah, it takes uh, it, it takes some some dedication before it really becomes feeding back to you in that kind of way. But uh, yeah, you get, you get learning just in and of itself. It's it's a uh, it's a it's a kick. Mm-hmm. And is that why the, there's a novelty factor in, in in this? Where when someone graduates from uni, the first you know couple mm-hmm. of years. Yeah. There's so much novelty yeah. when we change jobs. We're looking for novelty. We're trying to kind yeah. of spice things up again. Is that, is that part of part of what kind of keeps us a bit more buoyant? Is that we need a bit of change? Oh, that is, and I think that that goes to that sort of need for effic- that sense of efficacy, and people really want to feel that they are capable, and and that it just gives you like if it just gives you confidence because you got to deal with a world which is pretty demanding and not all that friendly. It's just knowing that you are capable of what you're doing both makes you, uh, you know, just more confident that you can deal with what comes up, but also you know it makes you more valuable to your community, and so you've got other people will have your back because you're a valued member. That's just sort of, it's really wired in at a fairly fundamental level, I think. And so when you're, when you're learning new things, when you're mastering, uh, you know, capabilities that, uh, that it, it gives some depth to you in that way. Michael, if, if, if some of our listeners want to 
take this a little bit further, where can they find out more about your work, about about the things that you you do? Do you have a website or something we can share? Right. I have a website. It's uh, the letter M-P Leiter. Uh, so it's M-P-L-E-I-T-E-R, which is Michael P. Leiter, um, dot com. So that's easy enough. Uh, so that, that, that's that's a that's 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 a place where you can see some of my stuff is posted there, and there's a way of contacting me through through that site as as well. Uh, so that that would be that would be the way to go. Fantastic. And and uh, before I let you go, a little bit more on a personal note: what attracted you to uh, uh, leaving Australia and going to Canada? Oh well, I was from Canada. I, I did you know, most of my career here in Canada, but I had a, uh, like a, a three-year gig over at Deakin University. So it was sort of a, uh, an adventure for me to go to, 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 uh, to Australia for that time. And we just loved it, but I, uh, but it was, it was, it was a time limited opportunity. And now we're back here. Uh, but I, uh, whenever, whenever the world gets back to itself again i do intend to uh visit 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 australia once again are there strong similarities i've, I've heard a lot of people talk about some really you know strong at least nature similarities between the two two countries where uh-huh. there's large sort of almost kind of barren desert type areas right. and then there's lots of this yes. really rich you know, green forestry and beautiful lakes and wilderness. Is 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 that true? Because I, I uh, oh. I've always wanted to 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 go to Canada because you see these beautiful pictures, but uh, you don't know what the whole of it looks like. Oh right, well yeah, the whole of it's pretty darn. But yeah, it's big, and it's like there's a whole lot in the middle that's rather barren. I, I I've been to you know the north uh, on on occasion and. It is. There's parts of the Canadian North. It's just rocks and ice and rocks and ice and rocks and <laughs> ice. <laughs> and, and so it's it's like the middle of Australia, except really, really cold. And that's that, that's the thing. And, and 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 Canada, like as with Australia, you've got you know wildlife out there that can kill you. It's just in Canada, they're really big things, and in Australia, they're little things. That. <laughs> So you you got to sort of watch in a different direction, <laughs> but they both have wildlife that's serious wildlife. But and also you know they're both Commonwealth countries. They've got the, the you know the money looks very the the, the paper money looks very similar. Uh, you know with the Queen, it's just um, you know it, 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 it took me a while to get straight. Oh, there are some differences here, but uh, so there's a lot that's that way as well. So it, it's very comfortable for. Uh, Canadian, Australian, going back and forth between these countries. There's a lot that's that's familiar in that regard. I'll have to make sure I come and visit visit once uh, restrictions ease and and have a little bit yes. of a sticky beak around. Likewise, and, and okay, beautiful. and I'll go. You're well, okay. We will we will we will, we will connect again. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Fantastic. Many many thanks again, Michael. Really appreciate you you coming onto the show, taking the time, and sharing your your great wisdom i think there's uh you know a lot of takeaways for from our uh conversation for our listeners and, and certainly for for me as well uh, there's, there's a few things i think i can uh take away and i'll probably be engaging in uh, actively doing more of my you know passions outside of work uh to to, to try and um you know balance that recover i think is a nice nice uh um, idea as well so appreciate appreciate uh those nice little gems and look forward to uh you know uh, meeting up at another time 
Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. And it's just, it's just been a great conversation. It's put a lot of good ideas in, in my head as well. So it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic. So good to meet you. Thanks, Michael. Take care. Thanks. Bye.